Welcome back to Indo Techno. This marks episode number 28 of our series. Salamat datang kembali semuanya. My name is Alan Hallowell. I'm founder of startup consulting firm Gizmo Advisors and venture partner at Alpha JWC Ventures. We are, by many accounts, on the cusp of a car ownership boom. A report from Ernst & Young released last month revealed that nearly a third, or 31%, of people without a car intend to buy one in the next six months. Respondents, moreover, cited the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic as one of the top reasons for their planned purchase. We are very privileged to have the co-founders of Caro, Southeast Asia's largest automotive marketplace, Aaron Tan and Aditya Lesmana, join us today to discuss this and other trends on Indotechno. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hi, Alan. Thank you, Alan. So, guys... To begin with, maybe you can give us a sense of A, where you currently sit, and B, what the main focus of your current activities is. Maybe starting with Aaron? My name is Aaron. My role on a day-to-day basis is to look after the overall operations of the business from a very high-level strategic standpoint. I don't have any operational responsibilities. My job is to ensure that the investors and shareholders are happy and to help guide the company from a strategy and a corporate development and M&A standpoint. So that's why I sit and what I do typically on a day-to-day basis. Now, Aditya, I believe you're based in Jakarta. Maybe you can kind of give us a sense of what your day-to-day is. Now I'm based in Jakarta. Thanks to COVID, it's a bit hard to travel. My primary responsibility is growing business in Indonesia. So my role is actually involving building team, supervise operation, and ensure everyone is on track to reach a target. And when it's needed, I try to see where there's a gap in the team that's needed to be filled and try to make sure those are being taken care of. Now, the team uncovered in our prep work that you both went to Carnegie Mellon University. Is this where you guys first met? Aditya and I first met at a dance floor at Zook, believe it or not. And there was nobody that was dancing there. It was our scholarship ceremony. Both of us were IDA scholars, Infocom Development Authority Scholarship. That's what we were both on. Of course, we went to CMU and that's where we became even closer friends because he was my housemate for many years in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, there's nothing too much to do, so you rely on each other in that sense. Interesting. So this is not the proverbial co-founders meeting in a garage, but actually on a dance floor. (laughs) My next question for you guys is, where was the concept for Caro first hatched? The long and short of this was that both of us were end of our scholarship life. So in that sense, we were five plus years into the scholarship. We finished the time with the Singapore government. He was at Capital Mall looking after innovation and I was in the venture fund of Singtel. And we thought to ourselves, maybe it's time to start our own company. So at that point in time, I got him interested to look into automotive marketplace because as I was doing venture investments in the US, I met a lot of auto-related companies, Uber amongst many. And that's where I thought there is going to be a change in the way people move around from a mobility standpoint. And the net of this is that we like cars ourselves and properties as well. And one thing led to another. We wanted to bring about that experience of buying cars in the US. When you buy your first vehicle, you tend to get information on the car very readily through services such as Carfax as well as KBB. We then decided that there's a white space in Southeast Asia. Why don't we do something like this in Southeast Asia? That was where we first started the inkling of what to do in Southeast Asia around the auto marketplaces. And that was how Caro was started. Got you. Fascinating origin story. Now, Adit, for those of our listeners who aren't aware of this, Carnegie Mellon was where the field of artificial intelligence was invented by Alan Newell and other CMU faculty in the 1950s. 
It, in fact, today boasts the largest number of entrepreneurs in the autonomous driving and machine vision segments. How are AI and big data part of Caro's longer-term strategy? When we try to build a trusted platform for used car, in this case, a very expensive item for most people, there are plenty of data that are involved just to perform the transaction, although at the moment, the market is very traditional. We will see that big data and AI will eventually embed in every part of the current process, from deciding on the pricing system, doing inspection, predicting demand and supply, and even doing KYC for financing, as well as an underwriting process. This probably will be invisible for most people that's not in the industry, but we will increasingly embed this technology inside our own internal process, as well as offering to the customer. We do a lot of very interesting stuff. For instance, things that are more back office, things like inspections, where we are able to, for instance, take a picture of a vehicle or take a video of a vehicle and in real time automate the annotation of a scratch, automate what are the issues with the vehicle, and for that matter, then back into the calculation of how much does it cost to repair a vehicle like this. Early days, we also experimented with things like listening to the engines. If you're able to listen to the engine itself, can you then detect to a degree of confidence what is the issue with the car itself? If we are able to do all these things, this negates our need to even have a human physical inspection of a car because all we need to do is to tell the customers or prospective seller, hey, put your phone beside the car, take four or five pictures around the vehicle and maybe two more in the vehicle. And then in real time, we'll be able to tell you what exactly is the condition of the vehicle. And that is something that we are striving towards. We are trying to push the boundary and push the way we think about how we should change the future of car buying or car selling. So, Aaron, on the topic of big data, we talk a lot about this, quote-unquote, proprietary pricing algorithm. Is it possible to measure how this algorithm actually improves pricing over past conventional methods? Can you give us an example of how this comes into play to remove the frictions or inefficiencies of pricing? For us, to be very frank, in Southeast Asia, before we even came about, there was no means of pricing. Pricing means going onto the classifieds, the information is very asymmetrical. The way we think about pricing is that we control a lot of the supply of the cars at the wholesale level. So that allows us to see a lot of information around the bid spreads. As a result, we can infer things like what is the interest in a particular vehicle make and model, or what is the last transacted wholesale price of a particular make and model year, from which we can deduce through the model and through machine learning. As a result, we can infer what is the effective price of the car today. What has changed for us then is that we are then able to make very quick purchase decisions we can tell within a few seconds what exactly is the pricing of the car based on today's market price. So that is a huge leap from what it was like even just three, four years ago. Everything in the past is based on the dealer's inclination, his experience of selling. And it's a very myopic view of pricing information of a particular car because not every dealer knows the pricing of every car. So they tend to specialize and that makes pricing very, very hard. That's fascinating. Wow. Continuing on this train of thought, Aaron, What has been the coolest innovation that you've introduced over the past year to the customer that they could kind of say, wow, this is something I don't experience on any other platform? Has it been the Caro car subscription service, which you launched last year in Singapore, or was it something else? As a company, we tend to do a lot of very interesting stuff. We tend to focus our time on the transaction piece making buying and selling more seamless to end consumers. And we spend more time to look into more interesting services that could change the future of mobility. And we just mentioned subscription. Most people may not know this. Subscription itself is a very common thing in the United States because this is in some way, shape or form similar to something called a lease-to-own program. But it's not quite a lease-to-own program because you don't get the ownership of the vehicle at any point in time. But it is a new way of thinking about car ownership because you don't need to own the vehicles itself. 
you can make do with the fact that you need this car for six months and it becomes more like a subscription, like how you subscribe for Netflix and any other things that you pay on a monthly basis. And we do not need it or we need to upgrade it, you can upgrade it at any point in time. And that's what we are trying to offer the customers from a flexibility standpoint. But if you ask me what is the coolest product we offered the last year itself, it has to be then what we call usage-based insurance, which is much more interesting, at least in my opinion, because we are changing the way we should price the risk of a driver. Because currently, it's the one-size-fits-all approach. The way I drive, the way you drive, Alan, is the same from a risk standpoint. It's a one-size-fits-all approach. But with the launch of usage-based insurance, and soon for our end, behavior-based insurance, BBI, I think it's going to change and revolutionize the way that we pay auto insurance across our business. The biggest benefit is as simple as the fact that we have been able to save our customers premiums well over 50% of what they paid in the past. So if you paid 1.2K, 1.5K a year, we know your current insurance bills with us is probably closer to about 600, 700. Super impressive. Now, a question for you, Adit. Caro now operates, if I'm not mistaken, in Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Is the value proposition nearly identical or quite different across these countries? And if there are differences, what are the reasons behind those differences? Overall, our value proposition is somewhat identical. We plan to become the trusted platform that helps users throughout their journey. Buying cars, selling cars, anything related to make sure that their car is running well after sales, insurance, warranty. The difference is always in the implementation because when we enter certain country. We don't have the entire suite of our product ready to be deployed. And when it's deployed, sometimes it may not be economically feasible in certain countries at the start. But we try to keep things on par, especially on the product side, simply because it will simplify our product development and ensure that once we develop a product, it can be reused across multiple countries with minimum customization. So for example, in Indonesia, our provision is enabling people to buy high-quality used car without worry. So in this case, we offer 90 days engine and transmission warranty, no accident, no flooding, proper document warranty, seven days buyback. We have similar thing in Singapore, but not as prominent simply because most of this offering is deemed to be default in the market. In Singapore, we offer very fast financing. Within one hour, the application can be approved. In Malaysia, when we invest in my two car, we also start with a B2B, so helping people sell their car very quickly. So in the overall grand scheme of things, the value offering will be the same, but implementation is different depending on the country and the stage. Now, maybe I added a follow-up question for you, given that you sit in Indonesia with Caro. What kind of development or engineering do we have in Indonesia? And what is the potential to build ever more sophisticated development teams in Indo? In Indonesia, we maintain a minimum presence of development capacity. We have a number of developers who develop and maintain our Jualo.com platform. Jualo.com is a horizontal classified website that helps people buy and sell car C2C style. At the moment, most of the development for product in Caro are centralized in Singapore. To be honest, building development capacity in Indonesia is not easy. It's not so much about hiring a developer. We need to hire an entire set of a team from the product, from QA, from developer, as well as from product and designer as well. So it's not easy to build a sophisticated development team in Indonesia. We are going to build a dev team in Indonesia, the production house, but it will likely not be as sophisticated as the one in Singapore. It will be to maintain localization, customization that's relevant to the market. And we also do this kind of things in Thailand as well as in Malaysia. One follow-up question. What were the greatest challenges in setting up Caro's operations in Indonesia? Was it staffing up? Was it forging critical partnerships, fostering adoption, or was it something else? I would say all of the above and more. Personally, I think the greatest challenge is always getting the right talent to have the similar aspiration and necessary talent to build what we want to build, which is a trusted platform for people to own a car. 
There is plenty of competition in obtaining good talents. And this industry is very traditional. It's unlike e-commerce where people have been educated by Rocket for many, many years. Used car tend to be a very obscure industry in Indonesia. And even though I would say that we managed to hire many good people, this is still a balance within art and science to get a right talent. Now, Aaron, while we have brought online, automated and streamlined the otherwise often laborious process of car buying, we also do offer offline services such as repair and maintenance. So my question for you, Aaron, is how do we view our offline and online balance in that regard? This is a very interesting question because the way I look at this is that there is more about balancing investor opinions because the truth is from a consumer standpoint, yes, they care about whether or not they get a kick tires. But from an investor standpoint, they'll look at this and say that I, I don't want to invest in companies that are exit heavy and we have to be very careful about the line that we shouldn't cross where we become too exit heavy and too exit light. But coming back to the question, how do we view our offline and online balance? We kind of think about it more from a customer experience standpoint because the net of this is that we need to be able to fulfill certain customer needs. And a lot of it, because of the space we operate it, cannot necessarily be done entirely online. For instance, buying the vehicles itself, sometimes the customers will say, I still want to kick the tires. And I just want to see that the car exists and the color is the same color that is what I think it is. Sometimes they then have to, as a result, be able to have access to the vehicles. So we just have to allow that to happen because that is the nature of the business that we run. And similarly for repair, so maintenance and after sales, for us, it's a constant balancing act about how much of the transaction should be a marketplace-driven one, i.e. we don't take any inventory at all. How much of it should be purely inventory-led so that we can maximize margins and for that matter, maximize customer experience. Our view is that we should try to stay as much as possible online or for that matter, recognize that there is a need for an offline presence and the offline operations today and continue to invest in offline stuff with the whole plan of moving customers, buying bids, selling bids, any part of the whole purchase or retail process online. So our job is to try to continuously optimize it. If you think of the whole offline car purchase industry today, I would dare say that 99.9% is offline. Our plan here is as simple as how much of those 99.9% of the customers which is a few million cars a year, can we convert to be online? And that is a balance that we are trying to maximize now. That's a very useful, broader context, which I think you need to take into account when you think about the value proposition. Now, Adit, how have consumer behaviors changed since the onset of COVID in Indonesia? Did you find any behaviors that surprised you? We observe customer, whether it's end user or dealership, slow down their spending or risk-taking appetite significantly. A mix of a lockdown and uncertainty of the economy, as well as retrenchment, is preventing them from deciding to buy a car. Um, customer not buying car means that the dealership also not buying car, and this affecting much of our operation. At the same time, we also observe multi-finance company also start reducing their disbursement ratio. They don't give loan as much because of the economic climate that's becoming uncertain. And this happened for two, three months. Then when people are more familiar with this pandemic, it's toll on the economy. We observe customers getting more and more eager to buy a car. So our sales keep increasing about 5x, 6x every month, and it's hard for us to fulfill demand. And slightly interesting thing is that in the past, customers usually prefer to buy cars with a low down payment. But now after COVID, for some reason, customers are more willing to shell out cash in Indonesia. So Aaron... We continue to articulate a financial services vision, including an in-house financing solution through sister company Genie Financial Services. How are we uniquely placed to offer these services better than anyone else in fintech? 
Well, we have been doing Genie Financial Services, which is a fully owned subsidiary of Caro for over four years now. Why are we better placed than anybody else? Well, we have the largest auto loan book in Southeast Asia from a startup standpoint. In fact, the loan book itself well exceeds 150 million USD within the last three, four years as we are putting it together. At the same time, we continue to have very, very, very low NPL rates. When we talk about NPL rates in our companies, it's typically 0.1%. Even during the COVID times now, where we are experiencing a little bit more defaults than we expect to, the truth is that while we continue to have headline NPL rates of just about 1%, most of the default is not happening or has not happened, primarily because of the way we have been doing collections and I guess more importantly of the way we have been underwriting credit. We have been experts in underwriting what we call higher purchase credits, especially for this particular size. We are not underwriting $100 loans. We are underwriting 20000 50000 100000 loan size. So it's a different form of lending. And that's something that none of the startups are focusing on. And as a result, we have been able to claim pole position in the auto financing business itself. And more importantly, since we have this four years of head start, it allows us to build credit models that are very different from everybody else. And more importantly, internally processes, be it claims, be it credit, be it even like MPL, the way we do provisioning, it's very sophisticated. And the other broader issue is in a business like us, because we deal with slightly lower margin loans, it is a lot also about the cost of capital. We have been able to borrow at scale hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, we just announced that we just closed our debt round of 150 mil. We have been able to keep the cost very low. The loan book itself has been profitable. So it is no question that as a result that we are much better and more uniquely placed to offer these services better than anyone else in the space. Aaron, can you give us a quick overview of the competitive state of the market at this point in time? Oftentimes when people talk about competition, they will compare us with classifieds and maybe other C2B players. We continue to see, of course, certain classifieds in Indonesia, Thailand, every country that's one. But we don't see ourselves as competition to the classifieds because we don't make a single dollar of advertising revenue. So the ones that we get compared to often are the classifieds. And then sometimes investors compare us to what we call C2B companies. There is this particular Malaysian company that they always like to compare us against because of similarities on our geographic footprints. But as a company, we operate rather differently. That particular company recently claimed that they raised $30 million from some venture funds in Southeast Asia. We are not sure how they got to that amount. There is a bit of difference on what we understood they raised, about half of it. But coming back to the differences between us and them, we focus a lot more on the consumer buying experience than the consumer selling experience. And the former company that I was referring to, we are talking about more an auction service company. For us, while we have an auction service business, it is only part of the company. For us, a lot of the focus is about what we call AI-driven retail buying experience, whereby we try to provide our customers with the best buying experience through AI machine learning, whatever data that we have of the vehicles or of the customers itself. And we further differentiate ourselves with the fact that we own the, the whole business end-to-end. So we don't just talk about simple things like just sell the cars to end consumers or end dealers, which is honestly very easy to do if it is nothing more than just frivolous buying of vehicles and then just flipping it off at a loss. Anyone can do that with enough money. For us, it's about how do we ensure the customer has the best experience? How do we ensure that we continue to make this a functional, profitable and a viable business, which is very important. So a lot of our internal focus is on GPMs. And since we own the marketplace from B to C standpoint, we also own the wholesale standpoint of the auction house. Then the question is, how do we then further monetize this? Which is why we then move into financing, insurance services. We have our own insurance license. We have our own financial services license across the markets. We also have after-sales services. That is something that, again, none of our competition, at least from a startup standpoint, is and are offering today. We are and we remain the only person that plays end-to-end on a full-stack ecosystem play across Southeast Asia. 
Adit, what are we focusing on in 2021? Is it new market entry, new feature and service line development, or other innovations? We just stick to our plan, grow our B2C business faster. We are going to quadruple or triple our wholesale number. And of course, continue in our effort in providing financing in countries that we already have presence in. That's very useful. Now, Aaron, what do we expect to be our revenue breakdown by, say, 2023? So by then, we expect to be well over $1 billion in terms of revenues. But I think what is more interesting here is the GPM standpoint, because for us as a company, we do not aspire to be just another company that is looking at selling cars at a loss so that we can pump up revenue numbers. For us, last year, we did about $100 million plus in terms of revenues. This year, I think we'll probably close three four hundred million million. Next year, we are definitely targeting well above $700 million. But again, I stress that for us, it's a very different business. At the end of the day, we run a high GPM business because we try to keep our GPMs at well over 10%. But from a revenue standpoint, by 2023, I would say somewhere closer to one and a half to maybe two billion. Now, Aaron, is our most likely liquidity event an IPO? When would you consider a public event and what milestones do you want to achieve first before proceeding with one? This is something that we constantly debate. And to be very frank, the last time we closed our Series B round, it is already well above a $200 million kind of valuation, which in my opinion, given my venture background, we have IPO'd a few companies before in the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ back in 2014 when I was still in the fund. My experience tells me that if I'm past about two three hundred million million in size from a market cap standpoint, it is very hard for me to try to sell the company from a trade sales standpoint. In fact, almost impossible. So an IPO becomes the most likely liquidity event. Of course, for me, the preference is always to do a trade sale. That is always the best versus doing a public equity story. But for us to do a public story, there is too many things that need to be ready. Everything down from the teams itself, we need to get the people, the CFOs, the CLOs, which we do, because that's something that has been in the pipeline for a while now. But more importantly, we need to make sure that we have good revenues, good GPMs, a good story, which is very good now because of the fact that Carvana and Rooms are all trading at very good multiples. So I think from a story standpoint, the street gets it. For us, it's more like how do we showcase a strong revenue growth over the last few years and more importantly, over the projected few years. That will ensure that once we are a public company, we remain a strong public company versus a public company that is trading downwards over the long run. I think that's the first thing. We need to have a good, strong growth and then at the same time, even stronger growth projections moving forward. That's the second thing I would do. Number one is always the team. Number two is that. And number three, to continue to look into bettering our GPMs. Because at the end of the day, if we are going to be a public company, we go out and we announce we are doing $700 million in revenues, but on 2% GPM, nobody's going to take us seriously. So that's something that we need to work on, which is to continuously push our GPM from almost 10% today. What can we do to get it to 15% or even 20%? That's something that's constantly on our minds. Gentlemen, this has been an absolutely fascinating set of insights into the cutting edge of how the car buying and selling process is evolving. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Aaron and Adit. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Adit. Terima kasih telah mendengarkan sampai jumpa lagi. Thank you.